Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to campus this morning. Hope you're doing okay. Welcome to all of you online as well. We're glad you're with us today. Welcome to worship. Let me just say a word about BUX, Bethel University Extension here at Union Chapel. It is a uh, wonderful opportunity. Let me, let me just remind you about something. The great impulse in the world for healing, for service, for education, all of those altruistic, humanitarian, enhance the human experience impulse comes from a Judeo-Christian ethic. I mean, you, you don't see uh, Prophet Muhammad Hospital anywhere. You, you, don't, you don't see a, a Buddhist school of higher learning. All of the, all of the uh, Ivy League schools in the eastern seaboard of the United States were all formed by people who had a Christian worldview and a Christian ethic. Of course, those institutions have long since uh, eroded away from those values. But at the heart of that impulse to enhance the human experience is a Judeo-Christian ethic. And of course, now we have in our culture all kinds of compromise and nonsense being taught in all kinds of public institutions here and there. This is a great opportunity to get an accredited college degree in a Christian ethos that will give you practical experience in the setting of our local church, and it's a great opportunity. So, and the price is right. I mean, the, 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 average, the average cost of a year of 30 credit hours in a private university in this country is anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $60,000, and this is $10,000. And, and we're already starting to cultivate uh, room and board opportunities for students as well, so lots of opportunity here. And, and so I want to encourage you to be part of the recruitment team that talks to students. Maybe you know some students who are good candidates for this program, or maybe you are one, and you can talk to the representatives after the service today, and we'll answer any questions you have. We want to be helpful to you any way we can, because one of, our, one of our stated missions is to champion the next generation, and we are doing that, and we'll find more and more ways to do that well, so thank you for your participation with it. Well, we've been uh, talking about launching into 2021 by faith. In the last two weeks, we've talked about faith, we've defined faith, we've illustrated applications of faith. Last week, we talked about practicing your faith. And today I want to just uh, kind of talk about a specific area, and that is the way we manage the opportunities, the gifts, the capacities, the assets that God places at our disposal, and that we, that we offer those assets, God-given assets, fearlessly, that we do it without hesitation. We don't let any circumstance, any people, any doubts, any fears keep us from exercising and deploying the assets that God gives us. So fearless giving. Our text this morning is found in the book of 2 Corinthians, New Testament letter, Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read for us verses 6 through 11. You can turn there if you have your Bible. We'll project the words on the screen, of course. Our custom is to stand to honor God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. So here's the apostle Paul. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, everyone say cheerful. cheerful. Say it cheerfully. Cheerful, cheerful giver. And God, <laughs> cheerful. <laughs> and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Say every way. Every way. So that you can be generous. Everyone say generous. On every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And may God inspire his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I wish every Christian that I know was as fearless as Milton Scott. Listen to this. He gave about as fearlessly as anyone I've ever heard about. I love these stories from the past where individuals just had unusual influence and lived a lifestyle that was so inspiring. By the time Milton Scott died at the age of 106, he'd experienced a lot. He was born in 1895. Now imagine that. So he lived in three different centuries. Uh, he, he saw a lot. He was a, uh, he was a person who actually saw, and I'll follow this if you can imagine, saw a demonstration by the Wright brothers with their first airplane. He attended a parade for Admiral Dewey who was a hero of the Spanish-American War. He commanded a U.S. unit of black soldiers during World War I and was given the French Legion of Honor, France's highest national award. He had a loving wife and four daughters. He took daily walks throughout his life. And when confronted one evening by a mugger with a gun, can you imagine this guy? This, this World War I veteran, now some punk is going to hold him up by gunpoint? When confronted by a mugger one evening, he told the thug to go ahead and shoot because he had no intention to cooperate. <laughs> the mugger fled. During his lifetime, he watched transportation advance from the horse and buggy to the space shuttle. In business, Mr. Milton also had his share of opportunities. As a young man, he became related to Atlanta's Candler family. Now, if, you're, uh, if you hail from Georgia at all, or Atlanta specifically, you know the name Candler. And the reason he was connected to the Candler family was by the marriage of two of his sisters to two of the Candler brothers. Milton Scott was unimpressed with his brother-in-law and Asa Candler's new drink that he had just started marketing. Whenever he told the story later in life, he would shrug casually and explain, I didn't want none of Asa Candler's Coca-Cola. <laughs> Milton Scott had his own life to live. He operated a successful textile mill from age 25 until he was 102 when he sold the company to a British conglomerate. Perhaps the most remarkable thing about Mr. Milton was how uncompromising he was about his kingdom calling. He was born to give. More specifically, he felt God called him to put God's word in the hands of people who were eager to absorb it. For himself, Mr. Milton allotted a very meager lifestyle. He typically kept four suits, 
four pairs of shoes, and a half dozen white shirts in his closet. He drove a basic American car, replacing it every 10 years, whether they needed to or not. He lived out his days in the same house he had built for his bride in 1920. No modern kitchen, no jacuzzi tub. He didn't even have air conditioning until he was in his 90s when a live-in nurse required a window unit to stay comfortable. On a typical day, Mr. Milton would eat a bacon breakfast. Uh, by the way, reminding us that bacon is the breakfast of champions <laughs> and uh, one of the keys to long life. Don't try to convince your doctor of that, of course. And he would sit in his favorite chair reading the Bible for one to two hours. On average, he would read through the entire Bible four or five times per year, a pace he maintained for 80 years. After Bible reading, he took a, the short ride to, to work where he tended the mill and his prayer closet. He masterfully balanced simple living with a zest for life. For Milton Scott, funding the work of ministry was a priority, and fund it he did. In vigilant secrecy, he went about the task of dividing his sizable earnings among God's interests around the world. Along the way, he amassed a list of accomplishments many charities would only dream about. He helped to smuggle thousands of Bibles into Russia before the Iron Curtain fell. He single-handedly funded a ministry that equipped lay preachers across South America. By himself, he was one of the largest sources of aid to the country of Bangladesh for two years in a row. He was personally responsible for the printing and distribution of more than 30 Wycliffe Bible translations. In China, Egypt, India, Central America, and countless other places, innumerable people got their first glimpse of Scripture because of his vision and generosity. He also took literally the call to care for widows and orphans, supporting a widow ministry and paying the college tuition for several children of deceased parents. Mr. Milton sent his assistants to investigate the inner workings of ministries he was considered helping. As soon as God placed a suitable project on his desk and the money in his account, he would go to the task of giving. It was not uncommon for him to clean out his account two or three times a year. In his later years, a nephew in charge of his estate would often have to notify him when the money had run out. Uncle Milton. No giving for now. Whenever the, his account was replenished again, his giving would resume. Mr. Milton seemed impervious to the what-ifs most of us fear. Not that they weren't familiar. He had lived through the Great War. He survived the Great Depression. He raised a large family. But despite all of these invitations to worry about himself, he was much more enraptured by the joy of giving. He didn't amass a reserve fund. He didn't watch the stock market. He just gave and gave and gave. Because of his commitment to secrecy during his lifetime, no one knows exactly how many millions passed through his hands. Conservative estimates suggest that he gave 70 to 80% of his income. And all along, he maintained a lifestyle that barely qualified as middle class. Milton Scott's story has a way of putting things in perspective. It certainly does. And it should make us think twice before casually throwing around words like sacrifice and generosity. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to entrust vast portions of his empire into our care. Not for our personal consumption, but to be sown for his kingdom work. He wants capable managers handling his affairs, distributing his wealth, and spreading his message. That's what I believe. Last week, we talked about those 
issues in life that tend to become barriers to us in practicing our faith. One is the circumstances. And we talked about the circumstances of 2020 and how devastating they've been for so many people. And that keeps us from practicing our faith, circumstances. Another thing we talked about are people. There are always people who are willing to stand in your way between God's best plan for your life and where you are. And there are always people who are trying to dissuade you and discourage you from that. And we talked about overcoming our doubts. And we admitted out loud that all of us have had some doubts. I've had a lot of doubts in the last year. I've, I've wondered with you, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? What are we to make of it? And those doubts can keep us from practicing our faith and going all out for God. And of course, our fears stand in our way. They paralyze us from doing the things God calls us to. So the concept of fearless giving, that might be a new concept for you, but it's not new to the world. We've been hearing about this kind of lifestyle for centuries. And here in Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, he commends them for their generosity that they had extended to believers in another city who were hurting in that location. But sensing the tension that naturally exists between being generous and being afraid to be generous, and there is always tension that exists there between opening your heart and opening your hands and wondering at the same time, am I going to have enough to take care of myself? And my family. Aware of that tension that exists for all of us, Paul took the opportunity to bolster the confidence of the church in Corinth by reminding them of the terms of their position as managers in God's kingdom. So what we learn from this passage we've just read today are at least three key insights. These are, these are a window into the workings and the ways of God and the workings of his kingdom. These are, these are like insider, insider insight that help us better understand and to, and to see and define what God is up to in the world. And as we partner with him in that process, uh, there are benefits to that. So here are these three key insights that will remind us today that whatever fears we have from going all out in the practice of our faith that those fears are unfounded. So here's the first one, it's on your outline, and that is the law of the harvest. Now watch this. The Bible says that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now the principle of sowing and reaping applies to every category of life. It doesn't matter what application you make, sowing and reaping, this law, this principle works. It works every time, it works all the time. And just a reminder that in this case, Paul wasn't talking to people who were trying to get rich. Paul doesn't say, this is, how, this is how you amass a lot of assets personally. Neither was Paul trying to raise money for himself. So, so these, are, these are not in consideration here when we're getting this window of insight into kingdom ways and kingdom, kingdom laws. When Paul says, if you sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And that, that covers all the areas of life. So he was simply explaining how God wants faithful men and women to act as conduits for distributing his wealth around the world. It is not for personal gain. It is for kingdom 
progress. That's it. So Paul was offering encouragement to those who wanted to move beyond their fear of giving and cross the line into some level of unbridled, unrestrained, un, unrestricted giving. Now, there, there are some things, listen to me, there's some things that I believe. And then there are some things that I know. It's kind of a different category. For example, I believe in heaven. I believe there's a place called heaven and real people go there. But I've never seen heaven. And so I don't know for sure what it's like. I just imagine that it's better than we think it's going to be. It's going to be really great. And so I believe in heaven. And I know you do too. But there, there's a category in my life, because I have lived and practiced and seen God's faithfulness in it for decades as I followed Jesus, that I know. I don't only really believe this, I know it's true. You couldn't convince me. I mean, you could, you could line up today and say, now these are the reasons, now use your critical thinking, you're a smart boy, figure this out. These are the reasons why sowing abundantly does not reap abundance, and sowing sparingly does not reap sparingly. And you'll try to convince me, but I won't believe you, because I know this is true, because I've been practicing it personally, professionally, for decades. I know that this is a law, the law of the harvest. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. And, and so I know that many of you are convinced as well. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are convinced with me that when you begin to give generously and joyfully your personal blessing quotient in every area of your life, including finances, will increase? How many of you believe that? I, see, I, I believe it. I know it. I know it's true. So this is good news, I hope, for those of you who may find yourself more reluctant as givers. When you give away something valuable, I understand this because it feels like you've lost something. Okay, here's something substantial. It's valuable, and I'm going to give it away. And you give it away, and, and the first instinct is, oh, now I don't have it. I've lost something. And so that can de-incentivize de you to give because of that feeling of, a, of loss. But this law supersedes all of that. And so God's saying to us through the Apostle Paul that when you give something to God, you're not giving it away. In fact, it's an investment. It's not a loss. It's an investment. Let me ask you this way. Just put it in this application. The farmer who doesn't, the, the, the farmer who sows doesn't lose his seed. I mean, what farmer do you know who has a barn full of seed and in the springtime he takes his seed out of the barn, he puts it in the ground, goes back in his barn and goes, oh, I don't have any more seed. I love my seed so much. I don't have any seed. I'm so sad. No, no farmer does that. You go, what a dopey farmer. What is the matter with him? What has he done? He has sowed his seed in anticipation of what? of a harvest. And this is the law of the harvest. It happens in every category of life. People go around mopey, I don't have any friends. Well, listen, if you'll be a friend, sow some seeds of friendship, that will come back to you. Sow it in relationships, sow it in business, sow it in finances, sow it in, sow it in prayers, sow it in faith. It comes back to you. It's the law of the harvest. It works every, <laughs> works every time. And so God encourages us through all of this. Uh, so here's a question. 
If you fail to sow, can anything produce a harvest? If you fail to sow, can anything produce a harvest? Can hoping you'll have a harvest work? Will begging help the harvest work if you don't sow? What about praying? Lord, you know I need a harvest. You pray. You fast and pray. You tear your clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and pray and fast. Will you get a harvest if you have not sown? No. Nothing produces a harvest except sowing. Sowing produces a harvest. And this is powerful news, I hope, for anyone within the sound of my voice who may be reluctant or fearful to give because of financial insecurity. It suggests that the wisest move we could make financially is to begin sowing to our financial need. So Paul tells us that anyone who is willing to sow handful of seeds can expect an appropriate crop in return. It's a principle. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. So it's the law of the harvest. So be encouraged by the law of the harvest. Uh, You're looking at a guy right now who actually knows this is true. It works. Works every time. Now here's the second thing. And that is the alignment that we find with God's agenda when we give fearlessly. We are aligned with God's agenda. Scripture says he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So it's one thing to give because it makes us feel good or because I'll have God on our side financially. But there's another reason that's even more fulfilling than either of those. Now, did you hear that? You can give because it makes you feel good. It's more blessed to give than receive. It does make you feel good. And it may be that you get blessed personally as a result of that. And that's a good thing. But there is, there is another reason that is even more fulfilling than that to practice fearless giving. And Paul touches on it through this obscure reference to Psalm 112 in this passage in 2 Corinthians. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now watch this. God is concerned about some things in the world. He has concerns. God cares about certain things. The heart of God is moved by certain things in the world. You maybe have heard the prayer, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. That's a bold prayer. Be careful to pray that prayer sincerely. I use it in sermons. I rarely pray it. It's too risky. God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. You'll go around brokenhearted. You pray like that. Because the heart of God breaks for the world. And so a couple of things that breaks the heart of God is his concern for the poor and his concern for people who are far from him. People who don't know God, God's heart breaks for them. People who are poor and disenfranchised and living on the the margins and don't have enough, this breaks the heart of God. And so so when we give fearlessly to meet such needs as these, we are aligning ourselves with God's agenda. Now, I'm a little bit different because, and, I, and I've learned this about myself over the years, 
that this point that I'm making right here is really the reason why I'm still in business. This is what gets me up in the morning. The, the simple idea that I am aligning my life and all the capacities and assets that God has placed at my disposal, and I'm aligning all of that with the plan and purposes of God in the world. That's exciting to me. That gets me going. I'm, I'm passionate about that. Now, I, I know that I say that because I, I know that I'm a little unique, and I realize I'm unique in this way because I have observed, and in fact, it's scientifically provable, you know, there's been studies done on this, that most Christian people, people who know and follow Jesus and, and want to honor God with their lives, most Christians do not align themselves with the purposes and plans of God in the world. It's so easy to get entrapped by the world system. And so when it comes to, to giving, we, we, are, we are hindered by it and made fearful of it because we are so invested in the system that the world perpetuates. And the world says, look, the highest value for you is to be a happy person. You've got to be happy all the time. And whatever it is that makes you happy, you should do that. It doesn't matter what kind of relationships you engage. It doesn't matter how you s save your money or spend your money or earn your money. It doesn't, doesn't matter how, it doesn't how you choose career path. Whatever you do, make sure that it makes you happy. And if it doesn't make you happy, then you're not obligated to continue in any of these categories. And in, and in finances, the world says, look, here's the best way to happiness. Just accumulate all the stuff that makes you happy. And whatever that costs and however much money you have to borrow to get it, that's what you should do. And it starts at the top. The United States government, that's you and me, we are, as of today, in this moment, something north of $23 trillion in debt as a country. You understand that, that the government produces nothing. They produce nothing in terms of wealth. The government doesn't have $1 to spend. They have to take dollars from you and me and the money that they take from you and me in taxes, then that's what they spend. They produce nothing. Not one politician in Washington has ever produced $1. And so they take money from us and then they spend it and they think it's okay to spend a lot more than they take in. So that today we're $23 trillion in debt and it goes up by approximately $1 billion per day. So that, that, that thing is ticking, that calculator is just ticking like this. So I started a sermon, you know, 20 minutes ago, and when I'm finished, it'll be up by hundreds of millions of dollars just in the time we've been here. It's insane. And so the world system says that's the way you do it. You print money, or in, in individual cases, we just borrow money. So we have this enormous consumer debt that just threatens to swallow up people. Uh, student loan debt is this monster in America right now. And it just, and it just overwhelms people. It's a, such a burdensome thing. And by the way, we've just announced today this BUX relationship where you can get a 30-semester hour program for $10,000 a year, and we also help you out with your housing. It's, and, and so there are, there are ways to avoid that kind of debt. There are ways to avoid consumer debt. We have an arrangement with Dave Ramsey and Ramsey Solutions. 
And because of COVID and the pandemic, Ramsey generously said to churches like this, look, if you'll buy a franchise of Financial Peace University, you can offer it to everyone in your church and everyone in your county for free. And so that's what we did. And so for months now, weeks and months, and it's just starting over again soon, maybe this week or next, uh, Financial Peace University, you can do it for free. You can have $100 value and ongoing access to this resource for free. Why you wouldn't do that, I have no idea. I have no idea. It's free. You don't have to go anywhere. They'll zoom it right into your living room. It's free. So why not? So you've got to shake off. You've got to put off. You've got to just literally, the world's economic system, you just got to try to get that off and shove it away from you and engage in the practices and principles of God's word as it relates to finances so that you can establish a budget, get out of debt, save and invest, Create some margins in your life so that you can become a generous, a radically generous giver. That's what it takes. So when you do that, you align yourself with God's agenda. And that's a great opportunity. And I hope you get as passionate about that as I hope you, you will. Here's the third thing, last thing. Not only is there the law of the harvest, there is alignment with God's agenda but we actually find that our faith becomes strengthened through giving. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, this is an audacious promise. I mean, it's out there. It's pushing it out there. It's such an important part of God's perspective on giving that we dare not overlook it. Paul expressed it this way. Look on the screen at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God is able. That's the key phrase in that verse. Do you see it? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you'll have enough for every good work. Let me give you a little snapshot of what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you are familiar with the self-storage industry. Do you know how many self-storage units there were in the United States in 1960? 1960? There were zero. No self-storage units in America. Today, there are 48,500 facilities. It's a $36 billion business in the United States. Self-storage units. There are more storage units than McDonald's and Starbucks combined in the United States. Every year, $65 million in storage units are auctioned off. These are storage units where people stop paying the monthly rent, and so they auction off to the highest bidder. See, you thought that was just a cable show that was all contrived. But that actually happens all over America. $65 million worth every year, auctioned off. We used, to, we used to tease each other because we had so much stuff that it filled up our garages. And so we would place automobiles worth tens of thousands of dollars in our driveway out in the weather because our garages were full of junk. Couldn't fit the car in the garage. Don't raise your hand. 
That's, that's interesting. But now we can take it up another notch. Now we have self-storage units where the garages won't hold all of our junk. Our basements won't hold all of our junk. So we got to rent another storage unit to hold our junk. And some of you have this, have this argument that you say, you know, you never know when I'm going to need that stuff. And maybe you have Aunt Mabel's cedar chest in that pile of junk. And that's priceless. It's just so precious to our family. Get over it. You don't need Aunt Mabel's cedar chest. Your children are going to throw it away. As soon as you die, out it goes. Yeah, it's true. Because nobody wants that junk. Here's, but here's the math. I, I'm going to spend $1,500 a year paying for a self-storage unit because I might need some of that stuff in there at some point. And the thing you need in there only costs 50 bucks if you went out and bought it. So if you need that thing, then go spend 50 bucks and buy that thing and save yourself $1,500. Plus the hassle of moving all the junk around. Do the math. I know what some of you are thinking. I didn't have to come here today. There's a, there's a pandemic out there. It's not even safe for me to be in this room. I have to come in here and be insulted. <laughs> but you can strengthen your faith through your giving. If, you, if, if it wasn't clear the first time, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So you see that? Generous on every occasion? Did I, did I mention, I haven't I mentioned this bottom line. Our Christmas offering was historic this year. And as you know, we're designating that we're going to buy a house, renovate the house, and open a recovery home for men in recovery. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing. And the, and the Christmas offering this year came in at $115,000. Clap your hands. That's really good. That's historic. That's a big deal. Now, some of you are going, you know, I didn't even give anything to that Christmas offering. I wish I could have. I wish you could too. I wish you could too. But the promise of the scripture is that you'll be made rich in every way when you give fearlessly, apply the law of the harvest, align yourself with God's agenda, begin to discipline your life, take financial peace, learn how to make a budget, learn how to get out of debt, learn how to save and invest, learn how to give, create margin so you can give. This is the promise of the scripture. So you can be generous on every occasion. This is this is when you can walk behind a family checking out at the grocery store and you see this young couple and you got a couple little kids in, in one of the baskets and, and overflowing groceries in the, other, in the other cart and the cashier is checking, this, checking them out and the number keeps going up and you can see the dad, you know, his shoulders starting to slump as they're, as they're trying to pay for groceries to feed his family. And this is when you just walk up to this guy, which I do because I can I walk over to this guy and say, hey, my name is Greg, and I had a young family once, and I, I'm feeling it. I know exactly where you are. I said, and I, then I just say, you mind if I buy your groceries today? Oh, you, you don't have to do that. I know. 
but it'd be a blessing to me to be able to encourage you this way. Would you let me? Well, gosh, okay. Just swipe my card. No big deal. Nobody's watching. Nobody's listening. No cameras. Nobody's business. That's called being generous on every occasion. We have folks in our church who do this routinely. I know this happens because there's a, there's a, there's a, a person who has lost their job or their income's fallen way off and the circumstances are bad and there's lots of pressure and the person just says, I'm going to pay for your rent for the next three months. Here's the money for your rent for three months. How, how can you do that? Because you can. Because you've got margin. Because you've ordered your life so that you can get to a place like that. And the single mom with a few kids and, you know, her car to get to work in only has three wheels on it and it's not going to make it much longer. And so what do you do? You just buy her a car. Listen, I want to buy you a car. Let's go pick one out. And how do you do that? You do it because you can. Because on every occasion, you can be generous. And then there's a big Christmas offering. The pastor says that we're going to do a recovery home for men because there isn't one in Delaware County. It'll fill a void. It's really important. So the Christmas offering comes along, and there are people in our congregation. You know, you get to $115,000 in a special offering. That means somebody's ponying up. And there were numbers of people like that. Gave outrageously generous. Because they can. And what does it produce? It produces thanksgiving to God. Do you see, do you see, what, see where it goes? Suddenly God gets credit. Suddenly Jesus gets esteemed. Suddenly the cause of Christ takes on meaning in the world because people are generous and they're fearless. They're extravagant when they give. So the whole point of this series is to increase our faith and to drive our doubts away, to drive our fears and push them beside us and to go all out to just go for it, God's best plan. Because there's a law of the harvest, friends. Works all the time, every time. And there, there is aligning yourself with the agenda of God in the world. It'll change everything. When you find yourself striding along in the footprints of Jesus himself in life, it's a big deal. It really matters, following Jesus. really matters. And ultimately, your faith is increased because you, got, you put God to the test in this area of your life and you discover he's trustworthy and it's a great blessing to you and to others. Let me end with this. The word believe is used 272 times in the Bible, believe. The word pray is used 371 times in the Bible pray. The word love is used 714 times in the Bible. Love. The word give is used 2,161 times. Let's learn to be fearless in our giving. Amen. Let's do it. Let's pray. 
Lord, we know that at some point as Christians, we've just got to go for it. We need to get a big handful of seed and say, God, I'm one of those guys. I worry so much about money. So right now, in this moment, today, I'm inviting you into my life and into my finances. I want to know whether things are good or bad. The circumstances are right or, or they're off. People are supportive or not. My fears, my doubts are real or not. I want to know that you are involved in my life. So I want to align myself with you. Practice the law of the harvest. Align myself with your mission, your agenda. And allow my faith to be strengthened through giving. That's my prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?